Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We're talking about the book of Proverbs, Roadmap for Living. The book of Proverbs is divided into seven sections. We're looking at one section, which is the first 10 chapters of the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is mainly a book to deal with a thing called choices. If I had to boil the book down to one theme, I would call the book a book of choices, how to make decisions, how to live life. That's why when you read the book of Proverbs, you can mark the word way, path, gates, door, all these words that describe an entering into or a going down. The whole book of Proverbs is about the voice of Lady Wisdom crying out to people saying, go this way, don't go that way. It's also the foolish woman and the foolish voice that cries out to people saying, come down this road, and it's a road of and a path of destruction and a path of consequence. So Proverbs is a book of comparisons. The word proverb itself means to compare something with something else. So the book of Proverbs will take all the different elements of life. There's probably about a hundred different aspects of life that are dealt with in the book of Proverbs. And it will compare different paths that people take on those specific areas of life and what wisdom would say and what foolishness would say, what knowledge would say and what the lack of knowledge or ignorance would say as people go down different paths of life. Everyone here in these services today will be faced with decisions and choices in your life. Some might end up with a feeling, I took the wrong path. I don't know how I got here, but I wish I wasn't here. If I could retrack, if I could somehow move backwards in life, I would simply back up and take away these steps that I have, that I've taken. And I would not go through the path that I'm on. Problem with that is if you get on a wrong path, it's very timely, time-consuming. Detours and delays are costly. Also, sometimes when you back up on a path, you're not sure where you got off, and it's a hard thing to find. Then, of course, there's always a time element. When you lose that time, months, weeks, years, you can't always replace it the same way, although there's always grace and God will help. The book of Proverbs is written by King Solomon. King Solomon wrote three different books that's very important to you and I at three different points in his life. Song of Solomon, first book, early years. He wrote the book before he had the 700 concubines and the 300 wives, a thousand ladies. Before he went into, because of his political alignment with the country to protect his own country by marrying somebody from that country was one of the issues. It wasn't always just because of the woman. Nevertheless, he was taken by these many women and says that his heart was affected. Eventually, it cost him the way he thought about life and the values he held. But in the beginning... Song of Solomon was about love, and Solomon knew all about love and loving one woman. He knew what it was like to actually be in love with someone. Song of Solomon is written with terms that uh, would be very different for someone to read nowadays, but still it's a book of love, and it's a book about relationship, and it's a book about someone who understood what it meant to have satisfaction in a relationship. In his early years, he had a great understanding of love. 
But then you move to his middle years. His middle years would be the book of Proverbs, his mid-age. He wrote Proverbs at the height of his mental stature. He wrote Proverbs after enough life and discernment and living and wisdom that he had that he could actually talk about the wisdom that he had learned. When he wrote the book of Proverbs, he was concerned about something. His nation had gone astray. The nation of Israel was breaking the Ten Commandments of God. The nation of Israel was breaking the many laws of the land, the laws of food, the laws of relationship. The young people were having a lot of trouble in the nation. When you read the book of Isaiah, you get some kind of a picture into the nation, which is a lot like our nation right now. And so during this time, him being the king or the pastor of that particular kingdom, that place that he was overseeing, Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs to try and teach them wisdom. He wanted to show them how they should walk because they were astray. They were taking wrong paths. They were believing wrong things. They were doing business with scales that were not equitable. They were doing relationships that were being destroyed. They were committing immoral acts that was costing them. They were doing all kinds of things in the nation. And Solomon would bring the word to his own nation like a pastor would and say, listen, if you want to be blessed and walk in your life, these are the laws of living. Proverbs. End of his life, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a book, well, the key word is vanity, vexation of spirit, emptiness. The whole book is about living life under the natural sun, living life under the sun, everything under the sun, everything in the natural plane of living, Solomon says, is empty. It's vain, it's vexation of spirit. No matter how much money you make, someone else will get it. No matter how you live your life, you'll never be satisfied. No matter who you love, they'll break your heart. If you try to get knowledge, you'll be more perplexed. You will never be satisfied. The whole book is about a person that seemingly is depressed, empty, angry, upset as they end their life. Looking back on life saying, you know what? I don't even know if the journey was worth it. I'm not even sure the life I've lived, I would live again. What a way to end. This is the warning. If you do not live the book of Proverbs, you will live the book of Ecclesiastes. That's the warning. If you don't gain the wisdom, the knowledge, the discretion, the prudence, the ability to choose, The wisdom to know how to do life properly. You will end up like Solomon, who denied his own wisdom, which tells us that knowledge is not enough. Understanding is not enough just to know all the stuff. And that's what he says in the book of Ecclesiastes. A man who had the knowledge, who actually taught the people violated his own knowledge, did not apply his own knowledge, went astray himself with his own heart, served other gods, broke the principles that were laid down for all the kings of Israel. He broke the principles of the kings and ended up being a man who was vexed in his spirit, almost mentally off, spiritually depleted, empty with everything to do with life. And he ends in the book of Ecclesiastes, a very sad story. Every one of us, are called according to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 10 and verse 10 says that he comes to give us life. Everyone shout the word life. Life. Come on, shout the word life. Life. A little louder. Well, life is worth living. And life has levels to it. Life has different content to it. 
And Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life more abundant, more full. I want you to live a full life. I want you to be satisfied in life. I want you to walk in my way. Remember, he said, narrow is my way, but broad is the way of man. So it is in the book of Proverbs. The easy way, the broad way is not the real way. It's not the right way. It's not going to be the blessed way. It's not the way you want to go, but it's the way that our whole nation is going right now. Our whole nation is upside down in its morals and its mind and its education and everything we believe and do as a nation right now. We're so upside down. We're just like Israel. We have denied the book of Proverbs and we're ended up in the book of Ecclesiastes. Everything is vanity, vexation of spirit, no satisfaction, no trust, no love. So many people going through relationships like styrofoam cups. They just have them and throw them away. And, and life and family is at risk right now. People in schools are at risk right now. The whole nation seems to be in a mental stupor. They don't know what to do. Why? Because they've broken the laws of God. And when you break the laws of God, you're going to end up in Ecclesiastes. You're going to end up empty and vexed and not knowing what to do. And so Solomon is trying to say something to us by his life. And we have to take the knowledge that he's talking to us about and apply it to our life. Every one of us have the opportunity to have abundant life, to live and be full. But this is the scenario. You have to follow the rule book. Can't write your own rule book. You cannot write your own principles. You can't write your own laws. You can't put the road signs to your own road. You can't write your own destiny and say, this is how I will do it. This is what will happen in my life. This is how I'm going to choose how to live. If you choose according to the word of God, according to the principles, yes. But if you choose according to anything else, you will lose. That's up for debate in our country. Why? Because we don't serve God anymore. We're an eclectic country with many gods, many ideas, many philosophies. And we certainly don't respect the Bible. We don't allow it in our schools. Most people don't read the Bible. Most people don't know what the Bible teaches. And those who do know what it teaches don't do it. And very few that do do it, do it well. And so when it comes to the church and the world, you can't tell the difference. You can't tell the difference between a Christian or a secular, unchristian person. A person who is of this religion or that religion. If you told somebody at your job, oh, I'm a Christian, and they say to you, wow, I'm really shocked. I didn't know you were a Christian. That's not really a vote of confidence. And yet that would happen probably across the board to so many of us. Why? Because we're no different than the rest of the world around us. There's no way to tell whether that's a believer or an unbeliever, a Bible person or an unbible person, because we write our own rule books. We commit adultery. We commit fornication. We lie. We steal. We cheat. We don't do business properly. We gossip. We twist words around. We vote for the wrong things that are immoral. We put in wrong people to follow. Our nation is messed up. And right now, the nation is so upside down that it seems to me that a few people that will stand up and say anything that is concrete or anything that is right, the whole nation might just follow something true because everything that is not true is falling apart all around us. The homes, the marriages, the children, the educational system, the medical system. We are killing still millions of babies. We, we, we are doing everything to destroy a nation. If, if you had to write a destruction code and some kind of a manual to follow, 
How you would disrespect this principle and disrespect life, disrespect absolutes and disrespect any of these things that would destroy a person, a family or a country. Our nation has bought into it. But the church should not buy into that. We are more than an unbeliever. We are more than people that don't know our way. We are supposed to know the path and the way we go and believe in concrete truth and absolutes and lift up the word of God and live the word of God. We are the hope of our nation if we would follow the path of the word of God. We're the hope and we're the help. Now, four statements about Proverbs. First statement, life is a series of crossroads. Every one of us have them all the time. Some not so important, some very important. We must carefully read the road sign. Choose wisely to follow the right path. Proverbs is all about road signs. Lady Wisdom is crying out on the streets, crying out at the corners, crying out at the gates, crying out at the doorway. Lady Wisdom Voices lifted up in the streets and it's screaming at people on what to do. The road sign is set. The voice is coming, but people will not listen. Second statement. Proverbs is a roadmap of wise and godly instruction. 915 verses just in this one book of Proverbs. How to deal, how to have a blessed life. And how to avoid pitfalls of unwise and ungodly conduct that destroys life. Unwise, ungodly, they go together. Unprincipled living, things that destroy your conscience, your core personhood, your ability to feel right, think right, do right, your ability to relate deeply and do it properly, your ability to respect and do it properly. Proverbs deals with a person who is faced with these things all the time. The problem with many of us is we don't know the principles that will bring the right kind of life. And so we kind of grope at it sometimes and we follow other people. Sometimes the people we follow are not the people we should follow. Sometimes the people that are modeling things for us are not the kind of people we should take from their modeled life and apply it to our life because they're unprincipled also. What does that mean? Third statement, Proverbs is a roadmap of God's voice trying to speak to us over all the confused clutter. Foolish, foolish voices, compromising reasoning, and what I think is ruining our particular foundation is humanism, humanistic philosophy. Humanistic philosophy simply means there is no God, you're God. There is no concrete absolutes. What you do, existentialism is whatever applies to you, you do it. Humanism. What I think is right is right. What you think is right is right. That's humanism. No one should tell someone else what to do. Humanism. There's not just one way to God. There's many ways. Humanism. Humanism is taking God from the throne and putting man on the throne. That's why it's called humanistic, humanism philosophy. It replaces the God thought with the man thought. It replaces the God throne with the man throne. It replaces everything in the principled word of God with the philosophy of man that is empty and unproven and most of it wrong. 
over here on the humanistic side, they, in their humanistic manifesto, I am preaching to you what they have already written and put out to society for many years. And they're working their philosophy. No God, no absolutes, no Bible, no marriage, no discipline of children. When you start going through the humanist manifesto, any relationship is good, man to man, woman to woman, none of that is bad. Everything is according to the love of the heart, the love of the person. Humanism is you are God, you control your destiny, you write your own rule book, and you are to tolerate anyone else and any other religion. That's humanism. You're to respect every religion as equal. That's humanism, and it's wrong. It's an ism that is destroying the godly foundations that our country was established on and that every church should be established on, every home, every person. That is, there is one God, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. There is one God. There is one Bible. There is one way. There is one truth. There's only one cross. There's only one man that died on the cross. There's one resurrection. There's one way out of this. And that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. Believing that he is the son of God. There aren't nine ways. There are not 12 ways. There is one way and it's Jesus. That's it. There's no room. Well, you mean you don't respect Islam? I respect all humanity. But no, Islam is wrong. You don't respect Mormon? No, I don't. I respect all people, but Mormonism is not Christianity. You don't respect Jehovah's Witness? No, I don't. Because Jehovah's Witness does not believe in the Bible. You don't respect... I don't have to respect other religions' beliefs. I have to respect people. People. Not beliefs. They're not the same. They're not equal. They're not close to the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph Smith died, he died. He's in the grave. Mohammed died, he's in the grave. Everyone that died before Christ is in the grave. He's the only one out of the grave. If I'm going to serve someone, I'm going to serve someone that still is alive today, not someone who is still in the grave. The resurrection separates the whole thing. The whole thing is not just philosophy. It's a way of life. And to accept Christ into your life is the beginning of hearing the voice of God on how to live. And when you begin to hear the voice of God on how to live, you have to put out the rest of the clutter. The clutter, the big clutter, is television. TV teaches us and our children and everyone else kind of how to think about life. What is cool, what's not cool? What is fashion, what is not fashion? What, what's uh, relationships like? And, and so we have more and more filth and weirdness coming through the tube. And now we have the YouTube. You can watch anything you want. And we have every other kind of digital uh, you know, communication going on so that people have so much communication, so many voices. So many voices. When someone... Dumb enough, archaic enough, old enough, weird enough, narrow enough to say, oh, by the way, the Bible is the only truth. What kind of an idiot are you? Don't you read other books? Of course I do. The more I read, the more I'd say, the Bible is the only book. (laughs) Say, Frank, don't you tolerate? It's not a matter of tolerating. This new doctrine of tolerance is a very evil doctrine. It's a very evil doctrine. And it pushes people into a corner. Everyone else can have a voice, but now we can't even have a voice in our own schools. 
We can't have Bible in our school. Think about it. Our nation. You can't have Bible studies unless you do a Bible club. A very right way if you do anything wrong, you're out. So many things have closed out the voice of God. Now, Proverbs, fourth statement, is truth. Everyone say the word truth. Truth for living a life that will be meaningful, successful. How? By learning principles that stand behind every godly attitude and action. Do you have a handful of principles that you live your life by? Most people don't live by 100 of these, 50 of these, 20 of these, or 10 of these. Usually there's only three, four, or five. Do you have a godly truth and a principle that you would never violate? You would die before you would violate it. They're your principles for living. You find them in the word of God. They become conviction. They get into your conscience, your core personhood, and then you live your life. I have certain principles I would never violate. Number one would be, The Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I need to be born again, confess my sin, ask Him into my life, surrender to Him because He is Jesus Christ, the Lord of all and Master of all. Therefore, I must respect the principle that Jesus Christ owns my life. I have bought into the principle that the Lord Jesus Christ owns Frank Demoncio, that I surrender my life to Him and whatever He wants from me is up to Him. I have bought into that principle. So I ask Him about everything. Second, I have bought into the principle of the Word of God. The Bible is my rule book. If I can find in the Bible, by the grace of God, I'm going to go after it. The Bible is my answer book. The Bible is my guide. The Bible is the truth that I believe in. I lay my life down for that book. And third, I'm a church builder. Because Jesus said, I will build my church. I'm a church builder. I decided when I was 17 years of old, I would build the church. I'd be involved in the church. I would be a person who would help the church. I believe that the church is a voice of God in our culture and our society. I'm a church builder. I don't tear churches down. I help churches. I don't, I don't tear people apart. I help people. I know that if people get involved in great churches and healthy churches, they'll grow spiritually. They'll be better with their marriage, better with their job, better in life, better about everything. Because the church is a great community of people. Can somebody say amen? Church is a great community. Think about it. What an awesome group of people that come together and able to worship. I have other principles such as always forgive. Another one is always respect. Another one is always be pure. I have certain principles that I will not violate, not by myself, not with someone else. I will not violate them. I will not step over the line. I will not put myself on the other side. I would do everything within my power and the power of the Holy Spirit to never step over those principles. I have a handful of those that I live my life by. And those principles are my anchors that I'm able to move through. Now, as you live life, here are four approaches that all of us will use at certain times. Now, hear me very carefully. None of these approaches are wrong. They're all scriptural and workable. Any one of them by themselves is dangerous. Any one of these by themselves is dangerous. They're all workable. They all come from a biblical source and thought. 
But if you only ever used one of them your whole life, you'd be in danger of making huge mistakes. Number one, the subjective prophetic approach. Prophetic simply means prophecy being the mind of God put into words and spoken to someone. Prophecy is exhortation, edification, and comfort. Prophecy can be used for guidance. Prophecy can come in dreams and visions and altar call when people give you a scripture over the phone, uh, text you, email you, Facebook you, something they feel about you. Uh, subjective living is anything that comes not from a concrete, just interpreting a doctrine of the Bible or taking 25 scriptures on one decision. It comes from a feeling. It's subjective. It's something inside. It's internal. It's not checked by an external. It comes by the internal part of your being. And so many people in the Christian faith will use the internal part of their spirit, the internal world they have, to make all their decisions. They feel it. Well, why are you doing that? I just feel like the Lord has spoke to me. Well, how did he speak to you? I don't know. It just kind of came to me. Well, what do you mean it just kind of came to you? It's not good enough. You've got to prove this. What do you mean? You heard something in your mind, your heart. The Holy Spirit speak out loud. What happened here? And so people sometimes can get into such a subjective way of living that they fleece everything. If the Lord opens a door, I'll walk through it. That, that could be a dangerous thing. If the Lord makes this job open up to me, I will know it's the will of God. Well, it depends on the job. It depends on a lot of other things. Where is the job? What are you doing? If it's a strip tease show in Las Vegas, I don't think you'll walk through the door. Hello? If it's some kind of a topless dancer, no, you're not going to. But the same, I, I, I hate to throw those things out because then you start thinking about them. But it's that same problem that people have, whether it's a really no job or this kind of a door, whatever door it is, it's using that subjective thing of fleecing and thinking internally only. And then people will say to me, well, I have two or three witnesses. What do you mean by that? I have two or three prophecies that confirm what I'm doing to marry this guy or to divorce this person or to start this relationship or go into business with him or move to Dallas or whatever it might be. I have two or three prophecies. Remember, the scripture about two or three witnesses is not two or three prophecies. It's two or three witnesses. And prophecy is one witness. Even if you have a hundred of them, it only counts once. So it's not like three prophecies or three witnesses. It's one witness that you're after. The other witness is the word of God. And the other witness is wise counsel. All three have to line up together so you can proceed down your road. If you take only the internal and stack it up. Well, if all the light turn green, I know the Lord wants me to marry that woman. If so-and-so calls me by five o'clock, I know it's the will of God to go into business with them. Those are dangerous fleeces. Dangerous. Now, 1 Thessalonians 5.20. I understand this verse. Don't suppress the spirit. I am a spiritual person in that I respect the voice of the Holy Spirit. I really do. And I need the voice of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does speak to me and he should speak to you. That's not a problem. 1 Thessalonians 5.20. Don't suppress the spirit. Don't stifle those who have a word from the master. Absolutely. People have a word from me or an impression. I want to hear it, but I'm going to hear it. And I'm going to follow the rest of the verse. On the other hand, don't be gullible. Check out everything and keep only what is good. Throw out anything tainted with evil. First Corinthians 13, 9. 
for our knowledge is fragmentary, incomplete and imperfect, and our prophecy is fragmentary, incomplete and imperfect. No person on this planet can now prophesy or give anybody a pure, total, 100% right word. We're all tainted with our own carnality, human nature, perspectives, immaturities, what we think, what we feel. We have a peace. We might have a few. We might even have a great word for the person, but it's still probably not a totally perfect word for that person. We only prophesy, it says in the Bible, in part, and we give things in part. That's why it's very, very important not to live life totally just as a subjective person. Scottish woman traveling the hills of Scotland selling thread and buttons and doing her business. When she would come to a crossroads, she would have a stick. For her to decide which road to go down, she would throw the stick in the air wherever the stick landed and pointed, she would go down that road. One day, a woman was watching her and she kept throwing the stick up. Twelve times. Throwing sticker, throwing sticker, throwing sticker. Woman says, you know, I've been watching you. Why are you throwing the stick up so many times? She says, because the stick had not yet pointed on the road I want to take. <laughs> so it is with counsel, with hearing from God. We will go a long ways to find things we want to confirm what we already want to do. And then when we finally find one out of 10 people that say what we want them to say, then we tell everybody else, this has been confirmed by counsel. But it really hasn't. Number two, experience encounter. My experiences become conicity. That is canon. They become absolute. That's not true. Your experiences can be good, bad, or indifferent. How you've experienced something, what your experience is, does not dictate how you should make decisions in life. You can learn from experiences, but experiences themselves are not holistic. They're not the total picture. Number three, disciplines of principles. Well, this gets closer in, much more concrete. Wisdom's way, principles. A proven way of relating to life and people, gaining godly wisdom and applying that wisdom by principle into every area of life. Learning the principles. The only problem with that one is if you don't know the principle, how do you apply it? A principle is what gives you the cause behind something that's happening. The principle is not the action. The principle is not the result. The principle is the cause behind. Many people see the finality of a decision or the finality of a principle outworking or they watch someone else's life like a person who's prospering or a person who's really happily married or a person who's really relating well to people or a person who is, is unbelievably pure. And, and you look at the finality of what's going on in their life and you say, well, that is just so awesome. I really want to do exactly what they do, but it's not what they're doing that makes them do what they're doing. It's what they believe back here that's underneath and hidden sometimes. A principle. That principle might be fear of the Lord. The Bible says this, and I believe it, and I fear God, and I'm not going to hide from God, and I'm not, not going to do anything in secret. I fear the Lord. That principle could be I've made a covenant with my eyes, a covenant with my body, 
I bought the ring with my father, that purity ring, and I'm not going to violate myself ever, never. You don't see the commitment made. All you see is the fruit of it. You have to go back to the principle. What is the principle that governs your life? You won't cross over. My wife and I have been married 33 years. In 33 years, we've had a few disagreements. Whenever she didn't see things right, my wife, um, there's disagreement. We would argue maybe or feel something or disagree about something. It's marriage. The D word has never entered in 33 years to any conversation because it can't enter. It's not an option. It would never be there, not on the table, not in the mind, not in the heart, not in anything. I will never leave her or forsake her. For one thing, she's, she's too pretty and makes me look young. Not an option. It's a principle that would never be violated. My marriage is here for life. I will die with that woman. That is my commitment. That's how our life is focused. There will be nobody else. I have never, ever violated my marriage covenant with anybody. Ever. I've never been sexually unfaithful. I say that. Well, I just say it for what it is. I ain't done it. And I'm glad I can stand up after 33 years and look her in the eye and say, you're the only woman I ever slept with. You're my wife. There's nothing else going on here. And she can say the same thing. Why? There's a principle behind that purity. There's a standard and an anchor. I travel and I have been faced with some of the funniest situations you have ever heard of in your life. Sometimes I am like Mr. Magoo. I don't get it. I don't even see it coming. My wife says that's because you're navigationally challenged with life. Sometimes I don't see it, but thank God I don't. I don't want to. What are the principles? in your way of wisdom that you would buy into that would never change. Now, fourth, decision-making approach to life. Now, you, you have the first three I've given you, which is, okay, subjective prophetic word or whatever, dream, vision, feeling. It's okay. Just use them in balance with your experiences in life. Learn from them. Use that in balance with principles that you know. Use the three together. That's not a problem. And then fourth, use decision-making as a concrete way to not have to go down the wrong road too many times. Here's some funny decision-making things people do. I'm going to give you a couple of words here. Write them down if you like. Flipism. What's flipism? Flipism. Just about like that. Well, I don't know. I think maybe I'll just, if this happens, this happens, that, that, I'm just going to, you know, cut the deck of cards, flip the coin, whatever. Not the way to live. How about this one? Selective confirmation. Gathering facts that support certain conclusions but disregard other facts. Ooh, we're good at this one. 
screen out information that we do not think is important or really unwilling to think about it because we've already made up our mind and I only take selective information now. How about this one? Stronghold patterns. Unwillingness to change thought patterns that have been used in the past as you face a new circumstance. You have a stronghold pattern. No, this is how I'm going to do it again and again and again. You won't even look at the circumstance. Same way, same approach. Even if the other one's failed every time. How about this one? Paralysis of choice. What do you mean paralysis of choice? When people have too many choices to make, too many options. Used to be when I was younger, you had NBC, CBC, ABC, five, six, seven good channels. You flip on, flip on, flip on, that's it. Now it's 100 channels. And if you want to get out there, you can rent this or buy this or whatever and get 300 channels or 3,000 channels. Or, or you can buy sports packages. You watch nine games every hour, which you can't. Or you can watch every movie you ever wanted to, which you shouldn't. Or you can spend 24 hours a day on television, which nobody should do. And so we have all of these options that the world sells. We don't even need all of these options. But we get paralysis so that you just sit there clicking through. Start over. <laughs> Finally, the wife comes in and says, give me the remote. What? Paralysis choice. So it is with careers. Google it up and all of a sudden there's hundreds of them. Well, I don't know if I want to be this and this and this and this. And in this one career, just to be, uh, you know, like a veterinarian, there's like 1,900 different flavors of the veterinarian. Or to be a teacher, there's all kinds of roads you can... Or to be a doctor, there's dozens of ways you can go. We have so many options. And I'll tell you one that I've watched a long time, I think, is a problem. That's just Frank DiMaggio theory now for a moment. Dating, relationship, and marriage. We have so many options, we think. When we first start, when we're 18, 19, 20, 22, 24, 25, we think we have... Dozens. Then it starts narrowing a little bit. You know, when you're 25, 30, 35, it's not 25 people to choose from. It might be less people to choose from. We start narrowing. But there is a choice paralysis in people getting married later, 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 and later. The average age for marriage now in America is pushed up to 27. It used to be just a few years ago, 20. 18, 19, 21, and now it's pushed up to 27, 28, 29, 30, 32, 35. How many people you know that are single? Don't raise your hand. Don't look at them. Don't bump them right now. How many people you know that are in their 30s that are still single? What is with that? It, they're beautiful. I meet beautiful men and beautiful women all over. You look at them and, and you, you just say, what's the problem here? What do you, you know, what happened to you? Why can't you get married? They have a good job. They're good looking. They're outgoing. They're Christian. They have all this stuff. And you think, what is it? Why doesn't someone just marry you? Well, you can't say that to them because they already feel that. It's the computer syndrome. When you go to buy a computer, you're thinking to yourself, this is the great computer. But I know technology. There's something greater coming one year from now. 
So if I buy this computer, sure enough, something else will come out that will be twice as fast, twice as good, and it will be exactly what I was looking for. And so it is with relationships. We look at the people around us and we say, you're the old Apple computer. I'm waiting for the new model. I don't want to marry you because I might have to upgrade. Come on, I might have to upgrade a little bit here. And then sure enough, you're thinking about this one guy or this one gal, and then someone else comes into the picture and you're thinking, see, I told you, see? Better looking, more money, nicer, gentler. I think maybe I'll upgrade. And just right before you upgrade, someone else upgrades quicker. (laughs) So then you have to start your upgrade all over again. Then you go back to the old model. And after a while, the old model starts looking like an upgrade. Paralysis of choice. I have watched it with our own church plants. We have planted many, many churches all over the world, all over this nation, and sent out many, many young people, young couples, young leaders. It's an amazing thing. When they go out in a group of 30, 20, 40, 50, and they start pioneering a brand new church that has 40, 50, 60, 70 people in it, all of a sudden their choices narrow. It's him or him. And lo and behold, they make a decision. Those that would never make a decision here because there was a hundred hymns and a hundred hers or two, three, four, or five hundred. And so they can't make up their mind. It's the upgrade thing. It's the maybe. It's, you know, too soon. Maybe something better. You never know. And I'm going to keep waiting it out. I think it's just one of the scenarios. But these people get married, happily married. You know what I believe? I believe we should go back to the Japanese way and just match them up and get them married. (laughs) You, her, now. Him, her, please, next. There might be some truth to this. There's no truth to that. All right. Luciana Pavarotti. The singer. That was, that was. That was a tenor voice. After you preach a few dozen services like I do every weekend, pretty soon you, you just start falling apart. Here's what his dad said to him. He urged me to work very hard to develop my voice. Arrigo Polo, a professional tenor in my hometown of Medina, Italy, took me as a pupil. He was the best at that time. I also enrolled at the same time in a teacher's college. On graduating, I asked my father, Father, shall I be a teacher or a singer? Luciano My father replied, Luciano, Luciano. If you try to sit on two chairs, you will fall between them. For life, you must choose one chair and one chair only. I listened to my father. I made a choice. 
It took me seven years of study and frustration before I made my first professional appearance. Seven years. It took me another seven years to reach the Metropolitan Opera. Fourteen years before he ever had that first professional showing. And then the rest is history. But it would have never happened if he would have gone back and forth. Teacher, singer, teacher, singer, teacher, singer, 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 teacher, teacher, teacher. He would have fallen between and been a nothing in both of them. When it comes time to make your mark in life, don't sit between two chairs. Don't be indecisive. Don't let paralysis of choice get to you. Get your mark set and hit it. Find the will of God and go after it. If you're going to get married, make yourself a list, put it on your Facebook and tell them to start calling. Send pictures with lists, please. <laughs> Whatever it takes. If that's what's in your heart, get on with it. And God will provide you with an awesome relationship. Don't get stuck. Okay. Are you all right? How many learned something from today's message? How many have a couple of paths that you might need to back up just a wee little bit? I had a beautiful young woman come to me, 19 years old, come to me after the first service, brand new. She says, I'm brand new. I need to talk to you. I said, talk right now. Here I am. She says, I, uh, I'm doing what you preached. I said, great. She says, no, it's not great. I'm dating an unbeliever where I have convinced myself I can do this. He won't come to church, doesn't know God. I don't know what to do about it. I'm emotionally involved. What would you tell me to do? What would you tell her to do? She's involved. Beautiful woman. I said to her, the pain that you'll feel to correct this does not match the pain you'll feel if you go through it. Did you mean break up? I said, I didn't say that. I said, pain. Then I grabbed another counseling woman. I said, you'll talk her through this. Because right at that crossroads, she'll make one of the biggest decisions in her life. But if there's no principle, someone tell her, he's a good guy, he's a wage earner, and he might be. But if you want to follow the path, marriage is supposed to be equally yoked. And it's pretty clear about the believer-unbeliever thing. They were, Frank, don't you mess with my relationship. Oh, okay. I'm just preaching what Jack told me to do. <laughs> Come on. How many of you would believe me that God's way really does work? It's hard sometimes. There's pain sometimes. Sometimes you get a little confused, but right now some of you are coming good with your business partnerships and you're looking at it and your relationships and your dating and your morals and your consequences and you're starting to put some two and two together. Let it come together. The more principles you cooperate when you're younger, the better your path will be when you're older. Might be narrow now but it will be an awesome path.